Welcome, folks. This is Mark Steiner. Good to have you with us here on The Mark Steiner Show. And uh, five years ago, Kwame Kwearma came to Baltimore to take over as artistic director of Center Stage. He announced recently that he's resigning and moving on with new beautiful things in his life as an actor and director and playwright. And he's coming with us for what could be not his final conversation with me, but maybe the final one on this radio show. <laughs> that, that makes me very sad because uh, I think, uh, you know, Mark, you are a magnificent supporter of of the artistic community here in Baltimore amongst ev everything else. But, um, you know, talking to you has always been like one of the highlights. I, I, you know, I think you know this, that you just text or call and you say, I, you know, I want to talk and, and make it happen, you know. Well, I we appreciate that too, a lot. Be because you are a, a beautiful public servant and have used your, your skills in order to make Baltimore a better place. So, you know, if this is our last one on in this particular, this incarnation, particular incarnation, then then so be it. But but we shall talk again, I'm sure. So was it 14 years ago when you did? Was it or was it more or less than that? From Elmira's Kitchen. Okay, so I think Elmira's Kitchen. The very Elmira, first year. I mean, excuse yeah, 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 yeah. Kitchen. No yeah, sorry. I'm in Baltimore. I think we did it in 2003. At the end of four, four. going into five, I think. So I think we opened in 2005, and and the reason I struggle is because. Rather weirdly, for my process, I almost have to kill everything that I've done before what I'm doing now. Mm. Um, and so people often say, so when was Elmina's or when was Fix Up, which was the next one up? Or, and I always struggle because I go, because, you know, I, I, I don't really remember, not right remember, but I kind of park it in a place in my mind. However, and, and forgive this tangent, something really beautiful happened to me in London this year. The very first play that I wrote is a play called A Bitter Herb, and it was about a racist attack that, um, that killed, um, or that took the, the eldest son of this black family away from his family in London. And, um, and I wrote it 17 years ago. Hmm. And, um, and, once, and it was produced at the Bristol Old Vic. And then after that, as per my process, I I, I didn't even remember the name of the characters. I mean, I don't, I don't remember what was happening. I, don't, I, I just don't... No, I understand I, that. I just completely. don't know the play. I understand. Right, right, right. right. And then RADA, our premier drama school in England, said that they were going to do a production of it. And so I went to see it. On, actually, it was on my last day in London after doing Marley. And, and Mark, I, I was afraid going in because I'd be like, oh, my God, I'm going to meet my younger playwright self I'm going to see all the mistakes I'm going to see all the you know it's going to be embarrassing and Mark I left thrilled at the production and thrilled at how how well the play stood up after 17 wow. years and also how how um how present my mother was who who died 12 years ago but how present she was in the play it mm. was a remarkable experience. As a character or as a spirit? As a spirit. As a spirit. As a spiritual character, but how, how much her philosophy just sat all over the play. And um, it was, I want to say, um, I mean, I, I told all of my family to go and see it. My sister went to see it and she cried for hours afterwards. And, and, and my children, I, went, I, I said, I wanted you to go and meet your father, not the father that you know, Mm -hmm. now but the father then and um it was and i have to say something about seeing that play on that day changed me really yeah yeah I don't, uh, and i i don't change you how i i think i looked at the younger playwright and i went oh my god you said that you, i mean like the play is Bold. It goes to places where now I might be afraid to go to as a playwright. I was like in some of the statements, and um, and uh, and I I think there was something about dancing with the spirit of my mother through the lens of my younger self hmm. that made me question myself and made me question who I am now and 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 what decisions am I making and 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 what are my wants and my needs and my you know, and, and what do I tolerate that maybe I shouldn't? I think it changed me. I don't know, but I think it did. It changed you to kind of pull you back into a place that you reinterpret now, 17 years later? 
but that as a root is that what you mean changed you that way no I, I think that it I, I think I, I don't know I mean that's uh, honest right. to God's truth got you. It, no, it affected I, you yeah, somehow deeply it, yeah I mean I, I, and I don't mean that in a defensive way I mean in a way that I thought about it and I, it's something metaphysical it's something that has just gone a turner a mm. turner a, a, a corner has been turned and I don't even know what street I was in that meant that I that I had to take another one it just <laughs> it just something in me has just has just I don't know I might compare it to um, I might compare it to a moment when you realize or when one realizes that actually that you're not that ugly child that some of your peers may have told you right actually Actually, <laughs> you're yourself, and even if you are, then that's cool. And it's a kind of, it, it, that's why I struggle to explain it. It was just something in me went, oh, oh, that's who you were. Who are you now? Think about that. And, and I have been. Cause, I mean, yeah, when you think also, you know, that the Royal Academy of Dramatic Arts, yeah. Rada, yeah. would never pull out a play they didn't think was worth performing. Yeah. Right. Yeah, just, I yeah. mean, you, just, you started with yeah, like this was yeah, a play I did yeah. 17 years ago that Correct. I. Correct. And so that says a great deal about the young playwright Kwame Kweyama. Yeah. That they saw. Yeah, I think so. I mean, I think they they were calling it a hidden gem, and uh, hmm. and and I think for me, it being my very very first play, that you pour everything into it, but there's a kind of concentrated quality that quality that says um i have to say this as opposed to an older sensibility which says how can i say this you know right um and uh and, and i think i'm dancing with those things that's beautiful though oh I mean, yeah no it is i mean you know a the spirit of your mother yeah you wrote it about Especially, I, I don't know the play, yeah, but I mean, Donald, I love to read it. You know, yeah, I'll send it to you. I mean, it, 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 even the subject matter is very powerful. I mean, yeah, you know, I mean, it's uh, for one of a better term, the moment Emmett Tillion. It is. I mean, it really, right? it really, right? it really, it really is. You know, because at the time, Britain was going through a, a, a batch of of young black men being killed in racist attacks, and um, and and. The biggest one being Stephen Lawrence um, changed what was, the face. What was that? Britain. What was Stephen Lawrence? Stephen Lawrence was killed by a, um, at a bus stop by a group of, uh, of 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 racist young white males, and uh, he was he wanted to be an architect, but basically there was a the investigation was tremendously flawed and compromised, and his mother, his tenacious mother and father, but particularly his mother, would not give up, and took the Metropolitan Police to task. And it was that case that changed Britain, that um, that the uh, judicial inquiry um, said at the end of it that Britain had to admit that the police force was institutionally racist. And once that was articulated, it meant that something had to be done about it. And every institution in Britain began to look at itself to see whether it was institutionally racist. And if it was, to what degree? And then to what degree could they change it? I'm here talking to you now as a direct result of Doreen Lawrence's work and Stephen Lawrence's sacrifice. When was that? Uh, that was, oh my God, what was that? It was In the 90s? I, I, yeah, I think it was like 90, oh, I'll tell you in a moment. I think it had to be 97. God, that's weird. I can't remember the exact date. But um, Well, 20 odd years ago, 20 years ago. No, it couldn't even, oh, it was more that. It couldn't even be, so it's going to be like 95. Yeah, so it was... It's very. It was a very rough time, very rough time in Britain, but um, his sacrifice and his mother's and father's sacrifice changed changed the face of our country. Hmm. You know, I was thinking about that. I was thinking about the your earlier plays that I saw when they came to center stage, hmm. and having a British mother. Yes. And spending a lot of time in Britain as a younger man, especially. Um, and having a mother who was white, but an anti-colonial Brit. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I, I, I say all that to say because when I saw your works, 
it made me start really thinking about the differences of the African diasporic experience depending on where they occurred and why, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. You have Britain that had this relationship to the enslavement of Africans from the very beginning. Mm-hmm. But Britain where in the 19th century, 25% of London was not white, mm-hmm. and people don't even realize that. Mm-hmm. A place where formerly enslaved and formerly colonial, colonized people mm-hmm. ended up in the same shore together mm-hmm. from very different experiences. Mm-hmm. So it's a, it's a, and, and I, your plays were kind of speaking to me always about this, this the, the intersection of those places that doesn't occur in this country yeah. in, that, in the same way. Yeah, it's interesting finding the commonalities and then um, finding the the differences is, is has always been fascinating to me, particularly once I came to live in America. Um, I remember the first time Irene Lewis um, asked if she could produce Elmina's, and I was petrified. I was a bit like, I was like, <laughs> what, what, what? How will this play work in America? I mean, I've no understanding of that, and. But then landing and, and people finding commonality with the, the situation that the black community finds itself in um, and in terms of structural inequality and the manifestations of that, but also the family. And, um, and so, it, you know, the, the difference between the European um, diasporic African experience and the American um, diasporic African experience is that is simply we landed somewhere else Mm-hmm. And then came to the motherland, whereas the African American came directly, you know, straight here. But quintessentially, structural inequality is structural inequality. Right. Wherever, where, and there are there are slight nuances in America. America talks about race a lot. Britain does not. Americans, therefore, um, both black and white, are far more fluent in race talk and open in race talk than they are in Britain. In Britain, you just don't talk about it, and it's it's a, a very fraught subject um, but but it looks the same it it makes itself manifest in the same way now I, I think if there's been gross not gross actually but I think there's been a difference if there is a difference it's in the last 10 years is that up until that point the thing that I hated most in the world was racism mm-hmm. and I think now the thing that I hate most in the world is poverty hmm and race is deeply entwined, and particularly in this country, race and class are—you are, know—they compact upon each other, they conflate. But um, but poverty and structural inequality, those are the those are the the big things that keep me thinking, and painting, and negotiating. And the difference, and those, there's very little difference between those things in America and those things in Britain. You know, I, I was going I remember the I was thinking of how much this must have affected you. You posted on Facebook um, a very emotional and powerful piece that I should have pulled out before we sat down, but when the fire took place in the high rise in London yes. and all those people were killed and trapped inside yes. and the, f- the building burned from the inside out. And those were poor people living in a public housing project taken over by a private entrepreneur, which is what they're doing in America now. And almost all people of color killed in that fire. And you wrote about poverty and what happens to people. I mean, that... Yeah, you know, Grenfell Towers... Grenfell Towers, right. Yes, as most people will have read, you know, is smack in the middle of the richest borough in England and London and possibly Europe. I don't I don't actually know. I've read that, but I don't know that for real. But um, and to drive past it, when I actually put that post up, I hadn't seen it yet. I saw it last week. Mm. And Mark, if you see a thirty or twenty-seven story building that is just charred, and you know that it's a living tomb in the middle of London. And you understand that the cladding that they put for aesthetic reasons was actually the conductor of that fire. 
that then killed that many people. Something that they would not have done, we believe, in an estate or in a, on a block of flats that was privately owned, not publicly. Um, your heart breaks. Your heart breaks for, for, for the inequalities of the world. Your one's, one's soul is, I saw it and I, I shook because it was, I mean, it's, you can't describe it. Pictures cannot capture it. I can't imagine the trauma mm. of looking at that entire block on flames, in flames, on fire. And so if all of the communities around that must have seen that thing burn. And again, it comes down to, you know, my catchword of the day, of course. It comes down to inequality. Do we care as right. much about the poor as we care about those who are economically enfranchised? I mean, I, when I read the stories of people watching children stuck in the building, couldn't yeah. get out at the windows, and you knew a family in that time, Yeah, right? totally, totally. Um, in fact, a friend of mine, she, she knew 30 mm -hmm. people who had been missing. Mm -hmm. And um, and yes, and a friend of mine, her father. That was right. Her father, um, the 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 police said to her that um, that first of all that he was not in the hospital, so that um, he probably is in the in there. And then when they went in and they did DNA tests, they could find nothing. Everything was just like charred, just the DNA of an animal. They couldn't tell what animal it was. Um, she told him that it's, it was his dog, but um, you know it's it's and again. The, but the big question is, Mark, for me, is how do we move forward? Right. Is how do we how do we make sure that things like that don't happen again? How do we make our society more equitable? How do we how do we care more? And I, I think those are the I mean, you know, those are the questions of the ages. I'm, I'm sure. And that's on my mind a lot. Well, I think we are, we're in a very interesting period, I think, when it comes to that. I mean, I think I was with some friends the other weekend and uh, who were very involved in a thing in, in the United States called the University of the Poor. It's in Detroit and Chicago, and it's a movement of, a multiracial movement of poor people that are building around the country. And I, you can see that happening now, that, that the poor people are coming together on this... Uh, 50th anniversary of um, the Poor People's Campaign that I was part mm. of with King, that it's happening again. And, and that has to happen because it's just it. The poverty and is, is the issue and people being driven into poverty and what it's done to people and what it's doing to people, how it's destroying us from the inside out. Um, and that, when I saw the thing in London, it just made me realize that. Yes, yeah. I, you know, I, I, I think we have to look at our countries and understand that Calvinism has played a really big part in, in the way we view the world and the way we view fortune or misfortune. And, and, and I think that what... Interesting, Calvinism. Yeah, and I, I think what <clears throat> Calvinism has said is that if you're successful, then, um, that God has smiled upon you. And if you're not, then God has turned his or her back on you. And if God can turn his or her back on you, then so can I. And we turn our backs. And I think we look at our streets and we see that we have turned our backs. And we look at Glenfall and we see that we have turned our backs. Mm -hmm. We have said, you know, if the sun doesn't shine there, then I, I don't need to. And, and that way we, we don't care about, or we care less about the homeless than we should. We care less about those being thrown into prisons and mental institutions than we should. We care less because actually we've been taught to believe that our blessings make us somehow immune to other people's failures. And it's not true. It's not true. No, it's not true. And I think you showed that in many ways here in your work. I mean, you, in the five years you've been here at Center Stage, um, you did everything you could to open Center Stage's doors beyond the usual audience. Yeah. I'll never forget when you were rehearsing One Love, your Marley mm -hmm. play, and Freddie Gray's rebellion started around Freddie Gray, you took the cast, and the cast wanted to, it wasn't yes. just you, it was a collective thing, yep. out into the streets on Pennsylvania Avenue. Yeah. 
and performed and sang and was, were one with the people yeah. at that moment, yeah. which it was, was amazing. It was very important. It was very, very important to me um, that the institution serve everyone. Access for all was everything for me. You know, I, I didn't come into the business to only serve the four percent of people that, that that say they walk they've walked into a theater. Um, you know, all of us in the quote unquote high arts want it to be the popular arts, and uh, and so for me, um, existing outside of the citadel, breaking down the four walls, from the work that we do to where we perform the work, to how we renovated the building, it's all the same thing. We want to open it up so that you can come in wherever you are in the continuum, that you can just have access. It's interesting, I, I, I speak often when people ask me about what, you know, during my six years here, what's been the thing that I've enjoyed six, most? excuse me. Oh, no worries. <laughs> and, um, and, and, I've, and I've, I often talk about Penn and North, actually, but, but actually that's the, that was, that was actually a later development. There's another thing that I, I'm, 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 that I think characterizes the work that we've done at Center Stage. When Trevon Martin was killed, hmm. I was on a, I was here, and of course, and I saw it was you know, one of the most high-profile ones at that time, and I saw a, I saw an existential angst in 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 black parents, saying, I, I, I don't know how to train my children, I don't know what I don't know how to protect them, and I, when George Zimmerman got off, I was actually on a plane, and when I landed in London, I saw that angst. People gave me that news, and. And family members were going, but I don't understand. How do you, how do you protect? How can someone be killed and, and and not be prosecuted in this way? And so what we did is, I came back home and um, I called her sister Roz, but Roz Cawthon was uh, then head of education, and I said, Roz, what can we do? We have to use art, and um, we have to use art to help heal. And so we went out into five or six communities, and we got artists to go and create a play in communities across Baltimore, in streets and community centers. And then, um, and we call those Trayvon moments. Mm -hmm. And then have, have a discussion directly after that play, not about Trayvon, but about how they feel, about how to heal. And then they all came back to center stage on a Sunday and, um, and performed and it was a sellout. And the idea that almost pipe, Piper like that we went out into the community and said, we will use art in this way and then come back to the mothership and let's have a massive celebration of all of these plays and a discussion. These things, you know, it, it, it is what I wanted our institution to be. And, um, and, and not, again, not just me, but, but our staff and our board have supported us in order to, to create a, an institution that it's undeniable that we are part of the fabric of our community. We're talking with Kwame Kwayarma, who for the last six years has been the most amazing artistic director on center stage, transforming that place, and is now resigning, moving on to his work as a writer, a playwright, actor, director. We'll be right back. The Mark Steiner Show is brought to you by MeQ, Baltimore's credit union. Offering a full range of financial services, MeQ, Baltimore's credit union, is helping its members and its community prosper. When you invest in yourself, MeQ invests in you. More information, www.mecu.com. Welcome back. We're here with Kwame Kwayarma, Artistic Director of Center Stage, and uh, coming in for what probably, well, no, it will be another, well, will be the final interview on this show on WEA because it's on one of my final shows on WEA, so... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Very sad about that, as I've said, Mark. Yeah. Very sad about that. But again, and again, as I think I've said to you on Facebook, and uh, and and in private, is that there is goodness in this world, and you have excavated that goodness. You've gone in, and you've given of yourself and of your spirit and of your soul and of your family, and not just for yourself, but but for this city. So whatever else is out there for you. May those blessings fall upon your head in multitudes. Thank and I you, believe brother. that they will and that they must. Thank you. So six years. Mm. Um, you've done a lot here in six years. I mean, let's just talk a bit about that for a moment. I mean, I, I mean, 
under your leadership, and of course, they work for the board and everybody else. It's not just one person. Mm, absolutely. Never is just one person. Absolutely. But that one person means a lot, the artistic director. You've renovated the entire center stage. Mm -hmm. It's a different building internally. Mm -hmm. You've opened it up. Mm -hmm. You've also opened up center stage to theater by women and people of color and black people that never, mm -hmm. in a way that hasn't happened before. So how do you reflect on these six years? How do you feel about the six years you've spent here? I, I think, first of all, I, 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 I have to say that I, that I stand on the shoulders of Irene Lewis. She, I, Irene was a, a force of nature. And, Probably and still is a force of nature. Absolutely. <laughs> and and uh, Irene had, um, part of the reason I wanted to come <clears> here, <throat> A, she invited me, first of all, uh, and produced El Mino and Let There Be Love. And then, um, and, the, and then the kind of um, growth and investment in the African-American audience doing you know, a third of her season made this a very attractive proposition for me. You know, I didn't want to just come here and just do black plays. Um, not that there's anything wrong with that, but I just wanted right, where, right, where right. I was at. Um, but I didn't certainly want to come to a place where I had to struggle to produce them when I wanted to, you know. So I, I, I think there's a difference. And, and the difference is this. When I landed here, Irene had been here for 17 years. And when Irene started as an artistic director, the conversation an artistic director had with her community was on the stage. And I think when I got here, the conversation that an artistic director has to have was with on the stage and with the community in a very direct fashion. I, I like people, so I like reaching out. I like being there. So I think the biggest thing when I landed here was that I went, I think, how do we take this rather wonderful theater and and not reinvigorate, but how do we, how do we take it up the totem pole a bit? Mm -hmm. How do we tell the community that we care and that we take it seriously? How do we uh, invigorate our our reputation nationally, and if we're lucky, how do we how do we do that internationally? So I think when I when I look back over these six years, I look back and I look back at year one, which was uh, for me um, a really hard year. My first programmed year, which is actually technically number two. Yeah, because your first year you first didn't year I kind of right, correct. Right, right, I kind right, of right. I inherited stuff, and then I, right. I programmed Whipping Man. But, um, but which was the last one. But um, but on the whole, what's really me was 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 season two. So I'm going to call it season one, 2012. And it was really interesting. We got a PBS documentary made about us. So millions of people That's saw right. the Raisin Cycle. I wrote the play right. to sit opposite Clybourne Park. And you know, and again, that was huge for us to have something like that nationally immediately. And um, then we did the My America um, videos that eventually got made into a feature film that meant that the 50 of the leading playwrights in the country kind of went, oh, uh, we'll write for center stage then and then we'll record it and then we'll put it out as a film. And so, you know, there was all of this really big excitement and exciting things happening and our subscription fell off. And there was a kind of a really big um, kind of, like there was a, a bit of an exodus at the end and that exodus at the end was saying on the whole not exclusively but people going oh, this is too black mm -hmm. when actually all I'd really done is I'd programmed exactly the same amount of black plays that had been programmed over the last 10 years or so but um, but it but when Irene was doing it it could be seen as philanthropy when I was doing it it was being perceived as an agenda and, right, uh, right right and and right. so that first year and, and again, we did Enemy of the People in that year, and, and I had a black and white brother team playing at the Great, league. I remember that wonderful production. And we got slaughtered, and it was, and it was, you know, people were writing and saying, "Disgusting! How could you do that?" And and so that first year was really hard, and I'll always remember it, not because of the rejection, but because of hitting so many of the goals that I wanted to hit getting us national press, the New York Times, and in a way that we'd never been before, Wall Street Journal, getting us all of that stuff, be it internally, the building going, not my board, because my board are fantastic, but but internally, uh, you know, people responsible for selling, our tickets would go, actually, we're losing subscribers, and began to be, get very conservative. And so they'd be like, 
we can't we're gonna take some of these black people off our posters and we've got to not can we not do that can we only do one black play that year and so actually i went into a really hard battle for about the next two years which was about how to regain some of the capital and equity that i may have lost in that older mm -hmm. community who have left but yet keep our integrity and so i look back on that first year as being hugely defining I look upon the second year as being um, the year where I actually programmed all comedies and right. all except for one play dance of the Holy Ghost and I did that on purpose because I wanted to let the audience know and the membership know that I care about them and I care about their view and I want them to come into the theater and not feel that they have to be under the siege of of, um, of discursive theater mm -hmm. but that but that and eventually, I think, I look back on year three, and then I go, okay, and that's when I, I as an artistic director, I think I, I made my most, the most progress in terms of learning. Then I went, okay, instead of doing one for me, one for them, which would have been my first season, the them being the populist. Right, right, right. I then went into the next season where I went, I'll do one for me and five for them. <laughs> um, and then, by the time I got to the third year, and I'd got some of that equity back, in year four, I could go, okay, now they're all for me. And they're <laughs> all for me because I enjoy it when people come out and they go, I just had a good laugh. And I, it's for me when they come out and go, oh, I loved that reflection on society. And it was for me when they came out and go, I brought my children to see this. I moved to the place where so long as my audience was happy, it was all for me. And, but, and so I look back on those years. I look back, you know, then on One Night in Miami coming in year four and, and I look on, on Marley right. coming in and, and, you know, and the Herzog reps. Um, you right, know, and, right. And, 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 I, and I, I look at, at Detroit 67. I look at, and so really I look back on, on my period here and I'm not, I've still got one year left with a real sense of achievement, but most importantly, a real sense of personal learning. That it was a really steep learning curve for me, but um, but that ultimately I would have left the theatre, having proven to myself that art is for everyone, and if you frame it correctly, people hear that and people feel it, and Baltimore has rewarded me with its love and with its trust, and with its affirmation that um, find the right art, produce it well care about your audience mm -hmm. and they will come and they did yeah. the I, one of the things that really struck me I remember is when Marley played mm. one, like, one Love yeah. I saw it a couple of times and um, <laughs> I was so it was beautiful to watch uh, and uh, audience don't take this the wrong way it was beautiful to watch all these older white people standing up at the end of that play singing and being part, when you ended the play, just drawing people. You wrote the play to draw the audience in. Absolutely. And they were in it, all of them. Yeah. That was really, to me, I yeah. just loved watching that. I, I mean, that, thank <laughs> you. I mean, that's really important. It was really important for me. Um, and and a, another place of learning. Because actually, when I first thought about Marley and I went, um, why did I do it? I actually did it because I wanted, we'd realized that that if I wanted to grow the audience of Baltimore, that I had to create event theater at least once or twice a season. Mm -hmm. The one, the, you know, the, the things that, that make it, that people talk about at the water cooler the next day, the thing that people go, oh, I'm going to have to get the babysitter because I have to go to that event. 25 years ago, it could have been a Shakespeare in Baltimore. It's no longer that. The classics are not our blockbusters unless you have a star in it. And... Um, so you have to find something that's eventful. So I went out and I went, let's do that. Let's 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 do that that thing. But when I thought about its target audience, I thought about young people. Of course, I'm calling myself young. Um, you know, I'm 50, and I, I was like, oh well. Let's. But what was brilliant was actually the 75 year olds coming up to me, going, oh, Marley played at my college. I saw him before he was famous. And actually, I'm coming to see this play because it reminds me of that time in my life. And these are, are Caucasian people right. uh, who, who, who 
were there right then. And that was the joy, seeing those people coming in as well as everybody else and having a great time. You know, it, it closed in Birmingham in, uh, in England in, uh, I don't know, April or something. And it was a 900-seat theater, and it sold out every day, standing seats only. And, um, and, and with the stage filled with people dancing and singing One Love. And it was, again, it was one of those moments in one's life where you go, thank you. I was blessed with having this, this, th yeah. this gift and gift given to me, that of Marley and Marley's music, to be able to make a musical and, and to see people um, thoroughly respond, you know, at a cellular level. It and the family beautiful. trusting you enough to let that happen. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was, it was a very beautiful, beautiful um, gift. And Baltimore gave me that gift. Because the truth of the matter is, mm. had I not wanted to create an event here, um, I, 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 I wouldn't have written it. I wouldn't have gone for it. Are you writing a new play now, right? I am. I am. Which I we am. can't talk about. Just exactly. Yet. We can't <laughs> right now. But, uh, but yeah, no, I'm, I'm really... I'm, I, I'm, I'm really fascinated by, um, you know, it's so interesting. When I first became a dramatist, the idea of writing a musical really upset me. I said, like, oh, look, I'm a dramatist. No, I don't do musicals. <laughs> musical, blah, blah, blah. Um, and, and now, actually, I really enjoy the musical because it, it's a combination of all of the things that, that I like doing. Um, drama, music, dance, and spectacle. And so actually, I really enjoy putting that together. So this is a musical. Yeah, it's a musical. It's a musical. Again. We can tell us that much. Yeah, it is. It is. It is. Uh, you know, I, I, I think I want our audiences on my last play of, of my tenure that, uh, to, uh, to rock out. Oh, this will be in Baltimore. It's gonna be yeah, yeah oh, it's cool. going to be. It's the last play at Center Stage. Oh, good. Yeah. So we have the season picked up, but the last play will yeah. remain unknown until it happens. Until we, until we sign all of the contracts and get all of the... The T's and the I's. Have you finished writing it? You're still writing it. I'm still writing it. Still writing it. But uh, but feeling good. Feeling, <laughs> feeling feeling. You know, I have to say that to myself anyway, right? Yeah, yeah but, sure. But 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 feeling. You know, feeling okay. You know, everything else before doesn't exist. I feel like I'm starting for the first time, every time, um, and all of the angst that goes with that. But but I think, but I'm I'm feeling I'm feeling good about it, and I'm really well supported. That's really good. So what is this season coming up? So we open with uh, a play called The Christians. And, um, and it, that might seem odd to open up a season in, in, a, in a city like Baltimore to, to kind of focus on one faith. But I think, I think across the world, faith is the big question we're, we're, we're wrestling with right now. And what's How the play? It, uh, it's, it's, it's called The Christians, and, and it's really about um, <clears throat> a, a, a pastor in the church asking a fundamental question on um, uh, that's right at the core of the faith and how the congregation respond and do they and and what they do and in this play they begin to doubt him and leave and it's the effect of what happens when we lose faith in our institutions so really it's a metaphor for for Politics. What happened when? What happens when we lose faith in our leaders? Hmm. What 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 happens when we lose faith in um, in 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 our own existence and our own ability to to not live in fear? Um, so it's it's a big metaphor for where the world finds itself right now. And who wrote this? I don't uh, Lucas Nathan. He's just got Tony Nom for uh, Doll's House too. So he's one of America's big, big oh, new yeah. writers. Yeah, yeah, it's, yeah. It's, it's, it's a wonderful play. I first saw it uh, in Louisville, I think, um, about three years ago. And it felt, Baltimore is a, is a faith town. There's lots of churches, lots of lots synagogues. Lots of churches, lots. You know what I mean? Uh, <clears throat> mosques and everything. And, and, and I think that it, the way we want to do the production is that we're going to ask, there's a choir, live choir on stage, and that we're asking different churches and faith groups um, to come in and be that community um, every week. To be so the we'll choir, you mean? To be the choir. And so that actually... So every week we'll have a different church group come in? Every week we'll have a different church group come in. That's and wild. And sit in there. I love that. Because it's about community. That's great, yeah. 
that's so really that's good. number one. And then I then we do Shakespeare in Love, which uh, which is a grand comedy and fun and you know kind of and you know me I I, I like I like to make sure that our audience gets exposed to everything. Um, I just actually saw it at Oregon Shakespeare version of it. I, I mean, it's so good. It's so good. It's a good play. It's, such, it's a good play. It's well written and it's fun. You know, William Shakespeare before he was Shakespeare. You know, and one of my favorite lines is as he struggles with Romeo and Gertrude. Wherefore <laughs> 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 I'll tell. You know what I mean? I, 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 you know, it's like, <laughs> it's just lovely. Uh, and, and then our family show is Alice uh, in the Looking Glass, a kind of a take on Alice in Wonderland, um, which I think also sits as a metaphor. That's around Christmas time? That's, yeah, that's, that's running up to the holidays. Then we come back and then we have a State of the Nation play, um, Skeleton Crew, written by Dominique Mauricio, that, uh, that is set in a, in a car manufacturing plant in Detroit with a skeleton crew. And mm. the effects of um, of post industrialization on on communities and people and families, you know, it's it's everything that that our president ran on at the moment. You know, in talking to the to the dispossessed and those who may have been forgotten um, in the rust belts, and so it's a it's a state of the nation piece, and um, it's Dominic's brilliant, and that play I think is one of the most well done plays now in all the most produced plays in America next year and then we do Animal Farm um, uh, uh, which I'm really excited about Um, another play that I think um, is a who adapted that could be seen Ian Wilson and it could be um, seen as a as a a state of the nation play depending on your state of the world a state of the world play actually Um, and so that's really exciting and then there is the piece that um, that I'm writing, but also in this season we have a unit called the Mobile Unit, um, and we go to the disenfranchised prisons, homeless shelters, mm. um, old age pension homes, um, anywhere that doesn't really have access to theatre, and we go and we play their the highest quality of work we play um, in those you know shelter for the homeless etc. These um, are different plays than the ones that are on stage. Yeah, so this is the mobile unit, and the mobile unit will go out and play Twelfth Night. We'll do a tour of of the disenfranchised centres in in Baltimore, and then come back and play in our third space. Um, and then we also have a new third space, which is our ninety nine seater black box, and in there we'll have a play called um, Red Rabbit, White Rabbit, which is actually written by an Iranian dissident who um, writes the play like fresh every night and so the actor arrives doesn't know what the script is just has a chair and then we hand them the script no one's read it and off they go literally we're talking literally this isn't it's not an actor playing this this no, is what actually happens this in the is play. actually happens we'll invite a different actor for the length of the run every night really and then we'll hand the script which has been emailed to us from iran because the writer is not allowed to leave iran and then they will read and enact this play this one person play Whoa! I know it's gonna be. I mean, it's it should be fun, and so we have. So there's there's no rehearsal. No rehearsal, they just land and play. I think we might call you, Mark, and ask you. I'd to love to do it. Them. I would love to do good. it. Are you good, kidding good, me? Good, good. I'd you're love gonna be, to do it. You're gonna be booked, bro. <laughs> you're gonna be booked. I mean, really, we're gonna do actors, celebrities. Every, you Since know. you've already probably cast the Mad Hatter for Alice, I want to do it. Yeah, mate. <laughs> correct. Right. We. I mean, we we got you. We got you because um. So that's that, and then. We, and then, and then there may be another announcement, which I won't talk about just yet. Okay. That we've we've got where we'll do another a really big show for the community. So there's so much going on, and I'm 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 really excited that, you know, that my mantra "access for all" is being made manifest by our six plays on our main stage, on our third space, our new 99 seater, and our mobile Twelfth Night production, and possibly a. Uh, 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 a big community show. This is... Transitions are always hard. Mm. Because of the unknown. Mm. Right? Um, I remember when you first came here, you said, if I haven't opened up center stage to a broader audience, then I've failed. Yes. I remember when you said that the first time we talked. I didn't actually remember saying that, but I know that I would have said that. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) And... 
Uh, well, wait, wait, before by the end of the summer, we're gonna as we redo our webpage, we're gonna have the Kwame Clay Armor page. <laughs> All the interviews will be there. Great, how fun! <laughs> so I'll be able to check on the stuff that I said and that I haven't done. There we go. It's good. Um, yeah. So, do you think that um, you? would want to be an artistic director again of a theater? Do you think you want to focus on being a playwright? Do you think you're not even thinking at the moment? At the moment, I think I'm sitting in what a friend called the wisdom of uncertainty. I like that a lot. Um, I understand that feeling completely, the wisdom of uncertainty. Yeah, and uh, and you know, I, I've loved being an artistic director. And would I be an artistic director again? Absolutely. Um, uh, when the right opportunity appears, and 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 that my soul and my gut says, "Oh, that's that's what it is," then I'll go for that. Um, do I want to write some more? Yes. Do I want to act some more? No. You don't do want to act anymore. Nah, I don't really mind about the acting, but I mean, if some came up, I'd, I'd take some just for fun. But, um, but really, do I've loved being a generative interpretive and curatorial artist at the same time. I've loved doing that. Mm -hmm. um, um, and so I, I, I you know, I'm, I'm trying to use this time. You know, I, I've really, I made up my mind. I think I landed in April. I landed back in April or something. And, and I walked into the theater when I saw Twisted Melodies, mm -hmm. the mm -hmm. Danny Hathaway show, yeah, yeah. a show that we developed and worked on. And, I saw that thrilling our audiences and, and and it was really the next morning that I woke up and I went and I looked at our beautiful building and I went, look at this. And I went, we've done what we came here to do. Right. Yeah. We've diversified our audience even more. We've grown our audience even more. In 2016, before we left the building, we'd increased our single ticket sale by 60% with new zip codes that no one had heard of before in the theater. You can see it in the audience when you, you go. You can see it. You can see it and you can feel it. And so I've enjoyed being a, a, a curator of those kind of experiences. And I just got to, you know, I would not have come to Baltimore had I not been the kind of being that says, I wait for my soul to speak. And when the Baltimore gig came up, my soul said yes. And I'm so glad that I listened because I've grown as an artist. I've grown as a person. So I'm waiting for that. You have. I mean, and you opened the door and made ac and you've given access to people to theater who might not have been able to come to center stage and work and, and, and do their work as well. I've watched that. That, to me, is incredibly important. I, I'm, 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 very, I'm very pleased about that. Um, when I got here, I think I was, I was the only person of color on our, in our right. senior staff and, and, and one or two rungs beneath that. And now at our cabinet, at our senior manager level, we're like 30, 40% um, diverse. I've loved to see. That's so, so important. To, oh, it's tremendous. It's, I mean, it's critically important. It's, it's, I've, I've loved, and we haven't spoken about it. We've just gone out and done it. Right. Um, no, exactly. But that's one of the things I knew you wanted to do when you got here. Yeah. And you wouldn't have been, it wouldn't have been acceptable had you not done it. To leave it as it is, you couldn't. You could not have walked in to an into an almost entirely white institution and left it that way. <laughs> <laughs> that wasn't going to yeah, happen. Yeah, yeah. I, I don't think I, I. I mean, I mean, I could have, of course. Of course, but yeah. That, but, 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 no. but you know, I, I think it's incumbent upon every generation to not just open the door, but to, but, but, but to make sure that the signals that you send out is that this isn't just about me, but this is about many of us. And so it was very important that Center Stage was, you know, had a workforce that was more diverse. It's just, it just made sense. And to be fair, my previous um, managing director, Stephen Richard, totally and utterly agreed, totally and utterly got it, and would lead that charge. Um, because, you know, I didn't want the stereotype of having to stand up at meetings and go, we need to diversify. I didn't have to do it. Just our hiring practices, and right. the work that we did attracted a certain level of of, of diverse candidate that, that made it so that we were not even choosing them because of their diversity. We were choosing them because they were the best person for the gig. And that that's the joy, knowing that we're diverse, but we're diverse. We're brilliant people. That's thrilling.
That's exciting. And that, so tell me, before we go, what, what are the plays you're directing this season? Besides, I'm going to do my one at the end of the that's season. That's it? Yeah, that's it. This, that's it this year. Um, but you'll be directing other places this year, won't you? Yeah, I will. I will I will a little. Um, not very much. I, I'll do one. I do one for the Donmar Warehouse. Um, I'll be directing um, Ibsen's Lady from the Sea, mm. which should be really interesting. Uh, I'm really looking forward to that. But then, then the rest of my time is here. Um, just, just kind of making sure that this is a uh, a rocking season, and it will be. Well, you know, by God's grace, right? Right. We, we all we do is we turn up, we apply our best selves, and we hope that um, that the best appears. Well, Kwame Kiyama, you have blessed this town of ours. I'm so happy you came this last six years. I mean, it's been incredible measures just getting to watch your theater, getting to know you. Uh, having a relationship it's just been for me lovely i just i was uh, i've loved having a relationship and and it won't end so no it will not end you know it won't end with you nor will it end with baltimore because baltimore is now part of my dna it's part of my life story it is you can't get away wherever you end up living whether it's new york or london or whoever you go next wherever and i i will i i will my last word if i may please to say to thank you mark again for your service your service to our theater in terms of always having time for our artists, always promoting the shows in the most positive and honest way by serving Baltimore and the artistic community in the way that you have. Um, I'm not Jewish, but you're a mensch. And, uh, <laughs> <laughs> you know, and, uh, you know, and, or, or, you know, in black British parlance, we'd say you're a bad boy. Um, thank you, brother. So means a great you. deal. Kwame Kayama. Thank you, brother. Thank you.